Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to the War Room. I'm here with Daria Mokhtarzada from Truebill. Um, and we're going to talk about oh shit moments that uh, high performing founders and executives have experienced and how they recovered from them. Yaya, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about you and, and Truebill. Give us a little bit of the history and where you guys are now as a company. Yeah, absolutely. I've been working on Truebill for about a little over five years now. I'm fortunate in that I founded Truebill with two of my brothers. So um, there's three of us working at the company together. Nice. Which is which is really cool. I love being able to work with family. Um, but yeah, we started it just at the end of 2015. We went through Y Combinator and raised a round of seed round coming out, excuse me, around a seed funding coming out of that. Um, spent about two years really struggling, kind of chugging along, trying to figure out a business model that worked and a product that people had interest in using. And then, uh, and then things sort of took off. And so we raised uh, Series A, Series B, Series C. And then um, just uh, in the last couple of weeks, we raised a Series D round of funding. That's amazing. $45 million led by Excel. I, I can't say the exact valuation, but it was, it was over $500 million uh, valuation, which we're happy about. Right on. Um, and the team's grown to about uh, north of 100 people as of this week. Cool. So basically, you're in the growth stage, doing very well. And uh, much like all of us, even though you're doing very well, faced a few oh shit moments of, of your own. You're, you're here today to tell us about one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned um, that uh, after we raised that seed funding, we, we sort of chugged along for, for between one and a half and two years. And so I, mm -hmm. I thought I'd talk about that period because when uh, when we started Truebill, we didn't know that we were setting out to actually build a big company. We just uh, had this idea for a feature that we wanted to use ourselves, and we we sort of built it in in more or less a week um, and shipped it out to friends and family. And the idea was pretty straightforward. We um, at the time, uh, there's more and more spending was moving to uh, automated subscriptions. So myself, I had, you know, a Dollar Shave Club subscription and a Netflix and a Spotify subscription, et cetera. Right. And they were just becoming hard to keep track of. So we had this idea for a simple app that would um, connect to your bank accounts and credit cards, scan your transactions, and tell you everything you were paying for in, in one easy place. Mm -hmm. Or rather, everything you were subscribed to. Um, and we sent that out to friends and family. And the feedback we got was just overwhelmingly positive. You know, it seemed like everyone we sent it to was finding things that they either didn't know they were paying for or didn't want to be paying for. And so that was great feedback. But um, two kind of interesting things happened. One was after after about two weeks of sort of setting it out into the wild, I looked at the the analytics and we were getting, you know, 15 to 30 signups a day, mm -hmm. which meant that with no marketing, just from sending it to about a small group of 50 people, um, they were sharing it and the people they were sharing it with were also sharing it. And so some... It, to me, it was kind of a proof point that that people out there wanted this thing, right? But um, also, sort of on a whim, I, I applied to Y Combinator, which obviously is the the incubator or accelerator based in uh, San Francisco, and we got accepted. And so, for us, getting accepted to Y Combinator was this kind of big wow moment where we realized we, we were going to go big with this thing and try to make a real company out of it. So we went through YC, and we. Um, you know, we did a, a formal launch at the time um, that we decided to really kind of try to get publicity around this thing. We had we had somewhere between three or four hundred users. Um, but I started emailing press outlets and uh, 
we launched on Product Hunt. Um, we got picked up by TechCrunch and all all the tech media as well as mainstream media. Um, it, it made for an interesting news story. Um, you know, local and national news news channels love talking about the growth of the subscription economy or or ways to, that um, companies are might be taking advantage of you or or services that can save you money. And so, pretty quickly, I'd say within about six weeks, we went from uh, 300 users up to 30,000 users, basically, wow. mostly just on on news coverage and product hunt. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at that trajectory and extrapolated it out and we we're growing, you know, a thousand percent a week. And, and so I thought, OK, you know, um, it won't be long before we're 100,000 users and then a million users and 10 million users and we'll be a billion dollar company. Um, right. At least in, in my head, I, I sort of had that fantasy. So, so based on that, we, we went out to do, right. I mean, that's that's right? what you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so we went out and raised around a seed funding, and that was actually pretty easy. Um, we took about $2 million in in seed capital based on that early momentum, um, hired a team, got an office space, and and kept building the product. And I think what, what, you know, looking back now was probably foreseeable, but was completely unforeseeable to us at the time was just the way growth flatlined after that initial bump and that initial enthusiasm from early adopters. Um, and would you say now looking back and having spoken to people, would you say it's like something that a lot of people, a lot of companies deal with? I think it's it's super common, right? You mm-hmm. launch your product, it gets attention, um, and it sort of validates all the, all the beliefs about it you had, which right. is that people are going to love it and it's going to go viral and it's going to grow organically. Um, and that will, in most cases, happen to an extent, but that that initial market enthusiasm, in almost all cases, goes away. Whether it's it's one month or two months or six months after launch, it's it's going to happen. And the term I've used for it is the the trough of sorrow, um, because that's when sort of that that initial launch enthusiasm uh, evaporates, and you're left with and then you're slogging. Yeah, very early stage product that doesn't have product market fit. In our case, that doesn't have uh, a plan for monetization, which means you don't have um, workable unit economics, really any anything else that's needed to to grow a business. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's it they, like? Is it is it was there like an oh shit moment where you kind of got powering through it, and then kind of what what flick flipped you from um, we're going to work through it to something's happening here, and I really need to react. Yeah. So um, you know. As a founder, you start looking at success cases, companies like Instagram or WhatsApp or YouTube, right? And and none of them monetized and they all got to these billion or multi-billion dollar valuations just on organic growth without having even having to worry about revenue. Yeah. And so you think, oh, I might be able to do that. Um, what happened is so so we got our run rate up or excuse me, our burn rate up to about a hundred thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. which meant we had um twenty months, or or by the time we got it there, we had, you know. 15 months of, of runway left. Um, we still had almost no monetization to speak of and growth was completely flatlined. And because we didn't have monetization, we couldn't afford to market. So, so we kept trying to do exploring different various growth hacks. We tried hiring someone to, to build out our blog, thinking we might be able to, to get a, a blog that would have a attraction audience that would, that would lead, get, uh, lead to us getting users organically. That didn't work. We tried a bunch of different growth hacks that didn't work. Like we we create a whole referral program with referral incentives and things, and, and nothing was seeming to move the needle. And what's the um, situation like operationally? Are you guys like uh, are you like literally war rooming it like on a day to day basis? How is that? What's the dynamic like? Well, 
as a founder, it was very isolating because mm-hmm. um, I've got this team who I convinced all of them to to leave their jobs and come work for this company. Yeah, and you know, you're as the founder, you're trying to keep morale high. Um, so I go into the office every day, like trying to find whatever victories I could in our metrics, and say, "Look, mm-hmm. guys, like we hit this milestone, or this new feature is showing promise." But really, um, at the same time, I'm talking to investors trying to raise a Series A because I only have, you know, eight or ten or twelve months of runway left, um, and they're all passing uh, without much consideration, even right to them, right. it was an easy pass. Um, and at the same time, you're still trying to hire because, you know, you have to assume that you're going to be able to raise a Series A. So you're there's all there's almost a guilty feeling where I'm I'm selling people the the vision and the dream of the company. Yeah. And to get them to quit their job and come work for work for a true bill when really, um, you know, the company was in a in a perilous position. Yeah. Um, and as and a you're founder, like you're like expected to lean into it, right? Lean into the pain and it's going to work itself out in some way. Exactly. But you're, you're completely alone in you're trying to shelter the whole company from that reality. Right. Um, Even your brothers, by the way, I mean, talking about co-founders and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time, uh, my brother was was head of engineering and, and, you know, he was he was working really hard to build the product. And I said, you know, as a as a non-technical founder, this is my burden. You know, mm-hmm. fundraising is going to be my responsibility. And, and so it's not fair of me to, to burden him with that. I'll, I'll shoulder that and let him stay focused on building product. Okay. So what was, uh, so was there a turning point where you said, okay, guys, this is not working or did you just, did you guys experiment your way out of it? Yeah. So we started getting down to, you know, six, five, four months of runway. Um, Mm -hmm. And it started occurring to me, okay, we might have to find like an aqua hire um, or or some sort of exit for this company that, Mm -hmm. At least it doesn't die, but it gets it gets picked up by someone else. Um, and even then, you know, I was I, I was taking acquisition meetings or aqua hire meetings, and it was not going to be a great outcome. But I was kind of positioning it to the team, like, "Hey guys, you know, all these companies are super interested in us, so we're talking to them about a potential acquisition." Um, where we really hit rock bottom was uh, I, I reached out to one of my investors um, and I said, "Hey, you know, I could use your advice. Here's the here's the situation. Our monetization has been flat at." $15,000 a month for the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three months of runway left in the bank. Um, here's our roadmap. Like, what should we do? And I, I didn't realize it was a no shit moment, but he realized it because he said, he said, dude, you've got to sell it right now. And I was like, but, um, you know, we have three months of runway left. He said, look, it's going to take you at least three months to sell this thing. You've got to mm-hmm. sell it now. I'm going to set up some meetings for you like this week so you can get those conversations started. Interesting. So interesting dynamic with an investor who's like leading in and basically snapping you into reality in a sense. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and you know, getting off that call was was the real oh shit moment because, mm-hmm. um, you know, to me that was that meant I'd failed, right? Um, yep. We we're going to sell. My hope was to at least get the investors back their money, but that, you know, no one's happy with that. Um, and honestly, I was imagining at this point, you know, I was, I was waking up um, or, or not waking up, but rather not able to sleep, mm-hmm. kind of re- playing the imaginary conversations in my head of calling each of our 20 seed investors and apologizing t- to them for losing all or some of their money. Um, and for basically saying, you know, thank you for betting on me, but you made a bad bet and I lost your money. Um, yeah, I got to tell was- you, uh, it's probably going to be a repeat uh, theme on, on this podcast in other episodes, but uh, the most triggering question for every founder and executive that I've, that I've found is how do you sleep at night? 
<laughs> People know uh, exactly what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was that was a really tough and stressful time for me. And mm -hmm. um, you know, after that call, I thought about it for about a day. And you know, starting a company is is fundamentally it's a big bet on yourself, right? Um, yeah. You can always go out and get a job, and that's that's the safe sort of predictable route um, to to sort of spit in the face of that and say, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. You really have to have this delusional self-belief. Um, and I said, you know what? He says it's going to take me three months to sell this thing. Hmm. Um, I think I can do it in six weeks. <laughs> so I, I got the team together and I said, all right, guys, we've got six weeks, which is basically time to make one more bet. Um, what's the bet we're going to make? And what do we think? Like, what are our, what are our options in terms of oh, so you're basically parallel pathing this, right? You're trying to sell and they're betting on something. Well, it's like, yeah, exactly. So I was, I was, I was going down the, the acquisition talks channel, but really mm -hmm. with the team, I was like, we can make one more bet so that we don't have to sell. So we can kind of keep going and, and hopefully turn this thing around. So, you know, we got in front of a whiteboard and we put six or seven ideas out on it. And we, um, we sort of modeled out our projections for each of them and, the whole uh, the whole time um, since launch, we'd really resisted having a, a premium feature set for the product. Um, for those unfamiliar, Truebill is a it's a it's an app that helps you with your personal finances. Specifically, it helps you track and monitor your your spending, your expenses, and your bills and subscriptions and that type of thing. Um, I was fundamentally against um, charging people for an app that helps you with your money. I, it just didn't sound right to me. So, and which, which by the way, was completely, completely wrong. Um, but at the time, well, I now thought, you know. yeah, I, I looked at companies like Credit Karma and NerdWallet and said, you know what? They make money by doing credit card and insurance referrals. That's what we're going to do. And so we, we added all that stuff into the app. Not only was it a major distraction, but as I said, it, it never generated more than, you know, 15 or $20,000 a month. Um, mm -hmm. But we said, you know, the, the new bet we take has to be radical departure from what we're doing because Clearly, what we're doing isn't working. So we launched. We decided to launch premium. So we came up with a couple uh, small features that could exist outside of the regular free model um, and bundled those into premium. And I remember on the whiteboard we'd modeled a two percent conversion rate to premium, um, which is average to low, I guess. Yeah, it's about. It's you know, I my data was coming from e-commerce where like. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that's about right. Yeah, it's it's average to low. Um, there wasn't a big feature set in the app, so so I thought you know low would be would be on par. Mm -hmm. um, we launched it, and I remember after twelve hours, there wasn't a lot of data, but I was looking at it, and we were at seven percent. Wow! Which you know, getting going from zero percent of your users paying for it to seven percent was Huge. was a big deal for us. And you know, I jumped on Slack and I was slacking the team, and I was like, guys, is this real? And they're like, it's real. Um, so we, we went back in that the next Monday and, um, made some tweaks. And by the end of the week, it was up at 12%. Wow. That's very high. Very high. Right. We we're really, really excited. Um, and so now by this point I had, uh, I had two months runway left in the bank. You know, we were converting a high percentage of new users to premium, but we were only getting 50 to hundred users a day. So it wasn't enough to actually impact the economics of the business. Um, so I went out and approached some other investors again, trying to do a Series A, and um, no one would do it. They're like, "This this new data is interesting, but you know we want to see six months of 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 data on it before before we pull the trigger." Um, so it was a tough spot, but but that's when that's when I think that was the first time in in at least twelve months where 
going into the office morale was high because mm-hmm. there was a light at the end of the tunnel. There was something that we were finally excited about that was working. Um, was it was it like a like a light switch? Did you just feel it over the over a few days? Just things turning around? Completely, completely. That's amazing. Um, you know, we went from making. Um, I think at the time we we're making about. 15 or 20 cents per user per month before premium mm-hmm. um, to all of a sudden making at the time it must've been a dollar 15 per user per month or something. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a seven X and we don't, you know, our big goal was a dollar per user per month because that's what credit karma was doing. And I thought credit karma was like the Holy grail of FinTech. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was huge. It was enormously exciting. The, the team, you know, there, there was a weight in the office that was just lifted, but we were definitely not out of the woods because we were still out of money. Right. Um, so I went out and started, I tried to raise a series A again. I couldn't get any interest in that. Um, but I went out, talked to some more seed investors and, you know, for, for no good reason, but I'm very grateful or thankful that he did. Um, someone gave us a 500 K to keep going. He's like, okay, nice. that's going to be 500 months, excuse me, 500 K that's five months. Let's see where you can get this thing to. And so we did that. And, um, you know, by the end of that convert, we got in conversion to, I think like 18% or something, which meant we could afford to start marketing profitably. So, you know, we hired a VP marketing and we were spending on, on user acquisition. So growth was instead of getting, um, you know, 80 users a day. Now we're getting, I think like 500 users a day. Um, and we're doing so profitably. Uh, and then we went out to raise a series and we still couldn't raise it. And again, we were out of money. Um, and the, the founders, uh, kind of stepped up, um, and gave a loan to the company actually. Wow. Um, but at, at that point we, we kind of believed in it, even if the investors didn't yet. Yeah. You um, had the actual data, the actual track record. Exactly. You had we, something. Saw, we saw the premium users coming in. We saw that, you know, premium revenue, it, it's monthly, right? So we saw our monthly, um, MRR or monthly revenue snowballing. Yep. Uh, and for us, you know, even if the external market sort of didn't believe in us at that point, um, we did. So we put in a loan and then closed the Series A after that. And then it was just a, you know, after that, it was a really exciting time. We closed the A, we closed the B 12 months later. We closed the C 12 months after that. We closed the D six months after that. So it, it kind of just... Things are ha- just happening. That. Things are happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just cracked the code, right? Yeah, the, the thing is, um, you know, looking back, there's... I'm kind of shocked at how stubborn I was in insisting to continue experimenting and trying to make things that didn't work work as opposed to broadening the the spectrum of things I was willing to test. Yeah, what's what's the lesson here cuz I'm like okay, near death experience and that basically forced you to do one something that I think kind of like in the back of your head you knew it was potentially going to work, but you just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And, and so let's, you know, it's interesting because let's say I've been better at fundraising and someone had given me a $5 million series A, right. Or a $10 mm-hmm. million series A, which is very common nowadays. Right. Yep. That actually would have been pretty disastrous because I would have kept um, ignoring common sense almost like kept yeah. trying to make the affiliate model work, probably spent millions of dollars on user acquisition to buy users that don't monetize. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe raised a, a $30 million series B and done the same thing. And finally like had a business with 50 employees and half a million users and 50 million in capital in with still no revenue that, that ultimately dies. Right. Um, yeah. I think like I was, I was, you know, idiotically stubborn. Um, 
about thinking that I knew better than what reality was telling me or what actual data and evidence was telling me. Um, and I think like that desperation sort of having the company on death's doorstep was what it finally took for me to say, you know what, like maybe I don't know best. Um, maybe I should just let the data actually like tell me what works best and be more willing to experiment on just about anything. Yeah. Tell, let the market tell you what to do. So th- is that your advice kind of if you, if you're going to say, basically looking back, incredible episode recovered from it, companies doing well, what's the, what's the takeaway? What's the, what's the bottom line, the tagline of this episode? <laughs> That's a tough one. I'd say, I'd say, listen to the market. Right. And so right. when I advise early stage companies now, um, one of the things I really encourage them to do, which Y Combinator told us to do and I didn't listen was monetize early. Um, and that's not because the, the revenue is going to be meaningful to you, but that's actually like your only barometer, your only compass towards like right. truth of what people value in your product or if people value your product. Yeah. The actual quantitative feedback that you can actually learn from. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's so easy to, to get on TechCrunch and like read about all these, all these companies that just had explosive growth from day one. Um, and were these, these incredible success stories, but, and if that is you, then you don't need to listen to podcasts. Right. But if it's, if it's not you, um, you know, as a founder, it's, you're sort of conflicted because you have to have this unwavering belief in yourself, right. This like maniacal, insane self-belief. Um, but at the same time, you have to kind of balance that with like what the external market is telling you. Um, and it's, it's, it's very easy to, to like skew towards either of those sides too heavily. Um, but if you can sort of, if you can sort of do both, right, believe in yourself, your team and your company while also letting the data dictate your decisions and being more willing to, to, um, go against your instincts, uh, and test then then that's always valuable. Awesome. Well, Yaya from Truebill, super happy to hear that you guys are doing extremely well. Uh, very interesting to hear about your, that near death experience and everything you had to go through. And eventually being forced by your by the reality to to make the best decision for the company that actually panned out. I think this is a feel good story at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been an incredible couple of years, and and we're fortunate right now in that the company's doing well and the team team seems motivated. Um, but it's also you know it's great to be able to contrast that against against having to to go through that hardship and and those low points, um, and having the the perspective that it gave us coming out of it. Yeah. Okay. So this was the War Room podcast, another episode in this experiment of ours uh, to see how uh, to talk about uh, high-performing executives and founders of startups and their oh shit moments. Thank you, Yaya. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.